Ah, yes, friends. On a Thursday, it is, of course, OGP, the One Giant Podcast, where I'm your host, Adam Marbrecht, also covering those Brooklyn Nets over on the Locked On Nets podcast. And as always, you know him, the man who's healthy, wealthy, and wise, the generational season ticket holder for the New York football giants, one Mr. Andrew Makowitz. How are we, sir, as we prepare for what will be the culmination of all of the efforts of the New York football giants through the training camp? preseason and the first three weeks it was all leading up to this moment when they take on the saints ah uh, yes i didn't realize that the uh between week three and week four all the news and notes that were coming out was was really going to be you know a, a big episode for us but but here we are there's a lot of things to digest a lot of a lot on the line you know going into this new orleans game so adam i'm fired up you better believe it, buddy. Um, as the as the world turns, so does the New York Football Giants. We've got things from Joe Judge, some of his comments during the week here. We're going to get into a we'll, we'll call it a key addition to this roster, and he's got us covered over there as the as the Giants continue to, try to figure out the offensive line combinations. And then, of course, we have injury updates because it's midweek. And just quickly, because I want to get to Isaiah Wilson. You know, surprise, surprise. We're going to talk about him. Uh, but the Giants had. Saquon Barkley, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton not practicing. Um, and then you also had a handful of other players there that we didn't expect to be doing anything. Uh, like for some reason, they listed, by the way, just quickly here, for some reason, they listed Blake Martinez as being out. And I just thought, well, yeah, <laughs> was my general, but neither here yeah. nor there. We'll, yeah, get in, exactly. <laughs> we'll get into, we'll get into more of, of the injuries and what it means and how it looks for the matchup with the New Orleans Saints. First and foremost, let's get to Isaiah Wilson, offensive lineman, former teammate of New York football giant Andrew Thomas at the collegiate level. He gets brought in uh, for a visit the other day, and then he gets signed. Andy, walk us down. Uh, I don't know call it controversial, but this guy certainly has a, a story to tell when it comes to his NFL career. Yeah, so Isaiah Wilson is kind of a polarizing figure right now. Uh, you know, got drafted in the first round uh, just over a year ago by by the Tennessee Titans. Looked to be, you know, the future right tackle for that team. Um, you know, in between when he got drafted and leading up to camp, uh, he broke some COVID protocols, was at Tennessee State University, got caught being there when he shouldn't be, thought about jumping out a second-story window, probably not what you want from your 350-pound oh, lineman. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot about and, that one. I mean, I knew the story, but I forgot it was him. Nice. And so it got off to a rocky start. And then uh, days before the opening uh, of last season, uh, he got charged with a DUI. Sure. So, uh, you know, not a very good situation there. Played in one game, and then the team kind of deactivated him while they were figuring out what, what was going on. The GM came out and was like, I expect better from him. This is not the guy we drafted. And Isaiah Wilson was like, I am done playing for this team after one game. And uh, you know, ironically, it's like, okay, well, you're thinking about jumping out of second story windows. You're getting DUIs. Not, not a good start. And so, you know, the team kind of put him off to the side and was like, well, how are we going to figure this out? Because he doesn't want to play for us and we don't know what to do with him. Um, you know, in the offseason, he gets uh, tr traded over to the Dolphins for like a seventh round pick. They basically were just getting anything they could. And the Dolphins turned around and said, you know, hey, we'll, we'll take we'll take this. Uh, in the days right before he got traded to the Dolphins, he led the police on a car chase, and he was clocked at going over 140 miles an hour at one point during that uh, police chase. Sure. And so the Dolphins were aware of this when they made the trade, and they were like, all right, yo, that's the final straw. You better get in line. By the way, uh, they also, I think the footnote here is they traded, it was 
Wilson and a seventh rounder to get a seventh rounder back. Like that was the, the full, the, the, the full quality of unloading him to maybe move marginally up a couple of spots. Right. And then, so, you know, the dolphins are like, all right, you know, we traded a seventh rounder for you and, you know, they start getting into some of the pre-camp stuff. Uh, he shows up late to meetings, didn't show up to a couple different meetings, said he was going to show up to the two voluntary workouts to get in, uh, you know, with the dolphins team decided not to show up to those as well. And so the dolphins were like, man, this guy really is not what we signed up for and released him days after making the trade, literally days after making the trade. And, uh, like you know, so a year goes by first round pick played one game, had three or four different issues that were off the field and, you know, has kind of been sitting off to the side and, and, uh, you know, teams haven't really wanted to touch him earlier, you know, this off season, I think it was a week or two ago, he was in uh, with the Indianapolis Colts for a tryout. The Colts decided not to sign him, even though the Colts have uh, their own offensive line issues themselves. And the Giants bring him in and they sign him to their practice squad after after hosting him uh, yesterday and then back in the building today for, for a re-signing. So that is, that is where we've gotten to with Isaiah Wilson. Let me get your immediate thoughts about the signing. Well, I mean, listen, after all of those things, the, the story that is Isaiah Wilson, listen, the, the reason that he ended up getting some of these visits apparently with these teams was he went onto social media and put out a very long post that you know, essentially took responsibility for the things that he had done. Uh, I think things along the lines of lost sight of myself, you know, made terrible decisions, all these things taking, taking account for, it. I'm not saying it either, you know, it's not overwhelmingly, Oh my God, this guy deserves every chance in the world or being dismissive of it. Cause it's hard to know the level of, of genuine, of, of how genuine a player or a person is being right. Depending on their circumstance, that being the case, um, I'm going to go, I'm just going to go big picture where, here. Where, where, where do we go from here? It's like, I give you the laundry list and you're like, welp. Well, here, so. so here to me, this is the big picture to me. This is one of those things where, again, this is true of all sports, all teams, but the giants at points have held themselves to a certain standard, right? Where you'd say the giants don't touch players like this. And again, I'm not saying that Isaiah Wilson isn't worth having a second or third or fourth, whatever chance it may be in the league. But the Giants typically would say, we stay away from guys like that unless you're desperate, unless things have really taken a turn, unless, you know, Matt Pert has regressed in, in camp and can't be the starter. And then you put Nate Solder out there and he has played to a fairly low run over the first few weeks of the season. And you're going to continue to try to throw things against the wall and see what sticks. If he keeps his nose clean, you know what I mean? Then that's fine. And by the way, it's a practice squad. They also signed a guy. We're not gonna, it's a footnote. They signed a player uh, off of Washington's practice squad to the active roster. Now, they can probably make you know changes there in the background if they wanted to. It's a practice squad. Pretty easy to bring a guy in there. Pretty easy to send him back out. I think that the Giants may be optimistic about what he could be for them, potentially. But they're at least probably doing it the right way of saying, here's a spot on the practice squad. If you make it a week, We'll be, we'll be intrigued. You make it two weeks without incident. We'll color me impressed. You know what I mean? Like, I think that I'll be curious to see if that's the approach they take. If this is right up to the active roster, right into the starting lineup, then this is a, a desperate organization right now. Oh, and three. Yeah. I, I wouldn't go that far. I think, um, you know, the giants are going to have to see something on the practice squad. Like you said, be in the building for at least a week, if not a couple of weeks to show that he's going to show up. Yeah. He's going to be at practice. He's going to be in the weight room. He's, you know, Keeping keeping on the straight and narrow, but you know, Adam, there's a, there are a couple of things to digest here. W one is, I have 
crush Dave Gettleman for making signings and, and draft pick decisions, primarily around DeAndre Baker, who just happens to be another Georgia alum. We, uh, uh, weirdly, like strange coincidence. Um, it, I, I was very critical of Dave Gettleman with that signing. And the reason why I was is because it was a lot of risk for a first round draft pick that you traded up for, right? Like you're putting a lot of assets and capital into making a decision like that. I think it is slightly different with Isaiah Wilson, where you're not giving up anything. It's it's for the minimum. It's to the practice squad, right? And and while the Giants want to have high character guys, I think to your point, it shows the state of the union. It's like, well, we don't want our franchise quarterback getting killed, right? Like that's probably most important right now. But there there is a small footnote here that might be a silver lining for the Giants, and that is offensive line coach Rob Sale for for the New York Giants. It just so happens that Rob Sale was at the University of Georgia, was the offensive line coach at Georgia, and was the reason why Isaiah Wilson committed to Georgia in the first place. So there is that familiarity. There is this idea of like, hey, we go back a ways. I know the baggage that you carry. I was one of his coaches while he was doing all these terrible things. I was no. right there. Well, no, I mean, all I this know. happened this is pre. I know it's all, it's all pre, pre problems. You're right. Very but, good. But I think this is a litmus test for not only Isaiah Wilson, but for the rest of the league where it's like, okay, he's already flamed out twice. Sure. He's been you know, on the street for weeks. If a guy that has familiarity, even from when he was 17 years old, can't get him to, to untap his potential, then clearly you know, the rest of the league is going to look at this and say, that guy can't do it. Who can? And, and the last thing I'll say about this with Isaiah Wilson is with all this off-field stuff, it's it, it hasn't been a question of whether or not he can necessarily play on the field, right? Like he's only played one game in the NFL yeah. after being a, a dominant player at Georgia, after being a late first round pick, you've only seen one game. So for me, there's a lot of off field stuff that, that, you know, he could be around two weeks. He could be around two years, you know, but at this point it's a, it's a risk that the giants have to take, right? No, a hundred percent. And that, that is the difference to me. Um, well, hundred percent, but it's, it's one that you can be comfortable with. You know, the spot that you're in, you understand what you can do with him, the flexibility you have there. And maybe he turns it around. I think too, you know, I'll just want to get, I want to get into these Joe judge comments uh, from, from Wednesday here with his press conference that you can walk us through as well. The other thing is too, right? Like you say, getting on Dave Gettleman, there, there is this world where when you're in a place that you're taking flyers on guys like this to bring in during the season, like it, there is this trickle down effect of, well, you should have had a very clear understanding that Matt Pert was not going to be ready to be the starting right tackle. That can't surprise you as you get to the regular season. And then you can't have Nate Solder be the guy that you're going to put out there, especially when you see what those results have looked like too, right? So just from an evaluation talent standpoint, you have to be a little bit disappointed in the lead up to this because those are areas of this line that didn't involve injuries. <laughs> These were active choices that uh, Dave Gettleman and the Giants made, including, as we said last episode, letting go of Kevin Zeitler. Let's turn our attention, though, over to uh, midweek. Joe Judge out there in front of the people, pressing the flesh, as they say in the industry. What uh, what little tidbits or takeaways do we have from Joe on this uh, fine on this fine midweek update for the Big Blue? Listen, I mean, he's under the microscope right now, just as much as Jason Garrett is, right? Like, Giant fans are looking for answers, and we're hoping to hear things that instill confidence, right? Like, you're like. I'm teetering a little bit, Joe and Jason, like, give me something that I can hold on to that gives me confidence that we're going to write the ship or we identified wrong. We were going to write the wrongs that we've had so far this season. Yeah. And, and what I will say is 
Joe Judge's press conference did not do that for me. I don't I don't know if it did it for you, but basically, you know, he he pulled the old hat, old football mentality when they were talking about like, well, analytics say that like that punt specifically was was one of the most conservative punts in the NFL since 1999, literally like top five most conservative play calls. And they asked him about his approach and he said, you know, I'm not afraid of failing. I'm not afraid of being aggressive. I'm not afraid of all this. But then he also came out and, and, and bashed analytics and, and said, analytics are one thing. You look at the stats, but you got to look at the players on the field and, and you know, all the types of things that I'm like, okay, yeah, you can kind of dance around that. And then he made the comment of like, if football was played on an Excel spreadsheet, then Bill Gates would be the, you know, in this and be the best coach ever. And like, when you say something like that, it's basically pointing to analytics and saying they really have no interest to me. Like there was a movie made about analytics and how it can help a team in, in Moneyball, right? Like clearly analytics is a tool that some of the young, more innovative coaches are using. It seems like Joe Judge is like, yeah, 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 that's important. But like, I'm a football guy and I watch players on the field. Analytics don't mean as much to me. Like, look at Bill Gates. Bill Gates can't coach like me. It's like, no, the better answer is to say, we want to do the right thing. We'll take analytics into account. It's a strong part of this, but there's also the nuances of the game. I will use both equally in my play. Instead, he's basically poo-pooed it and said, anyone that uses analytics like Bill Gates would be, you know, Bill Gates would be amazing in the NFL. You know, it, it yeah, doesn't make sense. I, yeah. I mean, my, my bigger thing is more about like they talk about like the offense and, you know, the troubles that they've been having and how are you going to address it? They want to keep progressing forward. They're not going to make any immediate changes. Like I really, you know, I don't expect the answers to come from him on a media day. It's like, but I want to know, Hey, what's going on here when we talk about that fourth down play, that situation, I don't care about the fourth down really. Like, and I'll get into the analytics piece in a second, but I more care about what was the play call going into that series First and second down, was that, you know, what what input did you have there with Jason Garrett? Was there communication about let's be aggressive to start here or not? You know, what's going on on the sidelines that are that are making those decisions? Then you get to the place where you're at the fourth down, and then you can debate that if you want to. Like, we've talked about this before, man. Like, I, analytics make all the sense in the world. The, the only, the caveat that I'll throw in here, which is not in defense of Joe Judge, but it's just a reality check, is that, the New York football drives, and, and they, they would say analytics tell you that, especially when you're a bad team, you got to go for it all the time because you don't know how many bites of the apple you're going to get. You got to be aggressive, play the percentages. On the other side of that would be that the bad teams usually don't execute as well as the good teams. So there, there is a little bit of a conundrum there when it comes to, hey, just always be going for it. And you don't have to look to the, to the Yankees right now in Major League Baseball, right? We're like, they're on this run here. And there were these weird lulls during their seasons. There were ups and downs. There was the start of the year when the Yankees were an entirely right-handed lineup. And they were like, hey, analytics tells us that it doesn't matter which hand you use. And then they kind of realized that it was. And they went out and got other pieces and shuffled the lineup and corrected things, right? So I, I, the balance is right. And to the point that you made there, right? Saying, hey, we need to be balanced in how we approach our game plan and all of those things. I think the hardest part about most of Joe Judge's responses wasn't the answers themselves. It's that you're 0-3, you're at this point. And I think some people have said this around, around the media of, you can just say, man, yeah, we got to get back at it. Next question. Yeah, I'm going to check the tape there and make sure we do better, right? Like the shorter we probably kept those responses are the more genuine and direct that the answers feel, as opposed to the more he went on was the more you went, man, Joe, it just kind of feels like you're saying a bunch of, like, I don't even know if you're listening, Joe. 
Right, and it also felt flippant, didn't it? It was like people well, are that asking I about that, the, I mean, that, that, yeah. that is a part of the personality. Right, but at the same time, it's like you're 0-3. So that doesn't that, – that shit doesn't work anymore. If you're that doesn't – see, that part of it doesn't matter to me. That's the only thing. That part doesn't matter to me because that – if that's your personality, Bill Belichick is Bill Belichick. doesn't matter – and I'm not comparing Joe Judge to Bill, but, like, you are who you are. So the same attitude that he was giving you when they were, you know, before the season, when they were on a winning streak last year – that was the same attitude. Like he didn't. It's not. He doesn't come out and puff his chest and start, you know, banging the championship drum when they went on a little bit of a winning streak last season. You know what I mean? Like his demeanor is always the same. So I do credit him for that. It's just that people don't appreciate it or are willing to be more upset with it when the team is struggling. And I get that piece, but it is what it is. I, I think. I think the the last thing I'll touch on on Joe Judge's comments, and, and it goes back to that that fourth and three, fourth and four play, whatever the official scoring has it at. I think the point of this is you look at it's third and three and the giants decide to take a deep shot down the field. It's oh, it's one of those things where you're in plus territory. Everyone kind of knows it where it's like, if you're going to take a shot down the field, it's presumably to go for it on fourth down, right? Like it's third and one, you could pick up the yard, you do some play action, you try to take a shot. Cause you know, you're going to go for it on fourth down. This seemed nonsensical to me where it's like, it's third and three. You're trying to pick up the first down. If you got two yards, are you kicking a 54-yarder? Are you going for it on fourth and one? Instead, they take a shot, and there's a holding penalty on that play. And Arthur Smith of the Falcons declines it because he's like, this guy doesn't have the guts to go for it. Like, that play called that he just called means that he's definitely not going for it. And he was right. Like, the, the Falcons played that better than the Giants did in that situation. And those are the situations to me where it's like, if you know you aren't going to go for it on fourth down and you're going to punt if you don't get anything there, you have to figure out a play call that can potentially pick up the first down and not necessarily take a shot if that's the only chance you have. You're five yards away from putting points up on the board. Five. Literally yeah. five. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know which way to go with that because on the one hand, it's we, we, want, we want them to be aggressive and take the shots. And on the other hand, though, if they take the shot, if they connect on the pass, you love the play call. If they don't connect on it, you don't love the play call. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, but you're, but you're being aggressive on third down and then fourth down comes no, no, I, and, I, I, and analytic analytics are telling you, you have a better chance to win the game. You have I know, but this is where I disagree to with win the this, game. This is, this is where I disagree with you though. Like, I, like, because you keep, now you're getting to this point where you're saying like, well, third down, you went for it. Analytics tells you, you go for it on fourth down. Like, okay. Like that doesn't, I'm not, I'm not holding to that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not holding to that. I can talk about if I like the play calls or not, if I think they're being aggressive enough, if I think that they're scheming to get guys open and use the talent the right way, like all of those things I'll get into. And I'll give the dose of, when you look at it, yeah, the numbers are telling you this. Just because the analytics say you should be going for it there on fourth down, that doesn't mean that I agree with that. And it's the automatic. I think that there are situational opportunities to do that. And that's when you look at, look at those numbers and you say, this is telling me something positive here. because again. When you're a bad team, like I'll point to it again, you're, you're having a nice drive. Things are going well. You hit Evan Ingram for a nice little pickup. He fumbles the ball, right? Like you have the opportunities for interceptions. You don't convert them like that during a course of a game. I'm not going to knock somebody that looks at that and goes, so what if I call the perfect play and Evan Ingram drops it again? Like what? You know what I mean? Like, I, like there is a reality to saying until I'm getting positive return on the risk that I'm taking, I have to wonder what is our hit percentage? What do the analytics tell me? That, that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? What are the analytics on the New York football giants when they try to do these things? Not what the, when the league does it. What have the giants done over the last five years in situational football? And then when their hit rate is so terrible, that's when you step back and you go, yeah, maybe, you know, 
Maybe maybe the league can do this. We can't do this. We need you, to be having success earlier on the downs because we can't go for it on fourth. You, you and I will agree to disagree uh, on that moment. I love being ultra aggressive. I will never hold it against a team if they want to try to go take the game by the horns and, and win a game. So that's would you, the one thing. Would you, say that, would you say that if they were being aggressive, say they're aggressive all game long, right? And it ends up getting them an extra, let's say – say it gets an extra three points or so, whatever it may be, right? They hit on a field goal, but they miss on a touchdown when they could have had a field goal. So now that three comes back off, right? They go one out of three on being aggressive on fourth downs and taking those chances. If you look back at the end of the game and you lose that game by four points, and I tell you, hey, remember those two times they went for it on fourth down? They were in field goal range both times. They went for it both times. They didn't get it. They got a one other opportunity in the game. They converted. The Giants would have been up. By, you know, they would have been up by 10 at that point in late in the fourth quarter, as opposed to being up by four and being available to have a team come back and beat them. Like, I, you can say you're all about it, but then when you lose a game and you know you clearly have points on the field, you're going to feel differently about it. Uh, well, I don't feel differently right now when the Giants were ultra conservative, ultra conservative against the Washington football team after Bradbury makes the interception. And I don't feel any differently when they do a very similar ultra conservative thing in plus territory, this time not putting points up on the board. What 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 makes me more upset, actually, in all of this, is that what's being lost, and, and we'll get to the New Orleans thing in a second, is that in all three games, the New York football giant defense has given up a touchdown to their opponent in the two-minute drill going into halftime. I, well, something like that, that, that I hope that, that, yeah, that's more that, of that what to me, that to me like, is more that, that's why it's more problematic. The the Denver Broncos came down in the two-minute drill and scored a touchdown. Washington came down. The Giants could have had leads in all these situations. And then Atlanta goes down and scores a touchdown. That's three instances in a two-minute drill where you need to get a stop and your defense needs to understand time and circumstance that the Giants blew it. That, to me, is the most important thing. This Joe Judge thing is a completely separate thing, and it's going to be the thing you harp on because the analytics back the journalists that are talking about it. Well, and as we as we look forward to the, the week four matchup with the Saints on the road, it's going to be a big game, obviously, for, for the Giants and whatever you think about where their season's at. But, uh, you know, I'll tie it into what we we're just discussing, right? Like, yes, we, we, do, we, do I want the offense to be more aggressive, to make bigger plays? Of course I do. Also, though, there could have been a template for the start of this season where the Giants thought our defense will lead the way and our offense will come along, right? Like, not in defense of Kenny Galladay and his injured hip or whatever, but he said at the start of the year, we're probably going to start a little bit slow offensively because new new players, you know, new things, everyone getting into rhythm. Is it is it a premise for an excuse? Sure. But the idea was that this defense was going to be the strength of this team out of the gate, fast and furious. They've had some turnovers, right? They, they have gotten a couple, but when you go back and look at these last two weeks, very clear opportunities, especially against Atlanta, interception in the end zone, free money, pick it up, put it in your pocket. That could have been the game right there. Like that could have salted things. So it's just unfortunate because when you're this bad, you can really provide a lot of different avenues to be upset with them. That being the case though, New Orleans saints is coming up here this weekend. I, I will say this. It was good to get on and have a bit of a rant and a lament and be infuriated by it. You made the good point last time though. The Giants were as bad as it all was, right? It could have been, boy, I want to see this offense open up a little bit more, but a couple of key turnovers from the defense were actually two and one going into this Saints game. And that's not to put, it's not to make it look pretty. They're 0 and 3. They are what they are. But do you think that they're that that this team now, because of the record, we're we're losing sight of the things that are going well? Because I have a very specific example of this that has clearly been overlooked in the first three weeks of this season. 
I, I think that's the problem. I, I think what you realize, and, and you hear all the media guys say, it's so hard to win in the NFL. And, you know, all these guys are, are pros. And yeah, there yeah. may be a couple better players here or there. But, like, the game hangs on, like, three or four plays in most games. Now, there's huge mismatches where, you know, the Packers blow a team out or vice versa, where it's like they never really even had a shot in this game. But most of these games are, you know, seven to ten point games where a muffed punt here or a non-fourth down conversion is the difference between a win and a loss, right? And no, nothing is more indicative of that than the Carolina Panthers, who lost seven games last year by one score or less, right? right. Now you look at it, they have Sam Darnold. You know, Teddy Bridgewater was serviceable, right? Like, he, he's doing great in Denver. Now, all of a sudden, Carolina's defense looks a little bit better, and they're getting the breaks, and they're winning games. And, you know, albeit the Carolina Panthers have not played the most stellar teams, but they did beat up on the New Orleans Saints who were playing here, here you know, this week. So, so the idea is, like, the margin for error is razor thin when you're not the most talented team in the league. You look at teams like the Ravens and the Bucks and the Packers – they can afford to like have a couple of mishaps and like their athleticism and skill will bail them out. The of giants course. are not in that position. Right. And and so that's the thing is like the giants are close to being two and one, which would kind of be a little bit of fool's gold. It feels like one and two would kind of be where this team is. I feel like they should have won one of those two games, but yeah, at the I, end uh, of the day, you, you know, we're, we're, nice. right. But, but at the end of the day, we're and three and we're going into a, the hardest part of our schedule and, and, you know, being and three, but the question is, what would your outlook be in the New Orleans game if we were two and one and like one play was different in each of those games as opposed to 0 and three right now? Well, yeah, that's a big piece of it. So I want because I want to get to a, a couple of players that have actually been doing well for the Giants and maybe aren't getting the credit because of how bad they've been. Like the, the Denver game, bad game, just a, you know, just a bad game all around. Nothing to really write home about there. You don't like it. The The Washington game offensively looked very nice, very in rhythm. Just everything was really working for them, felt fluid. So you like that game, and you, and I, and you like most of the Atlanta game in a lot of ways. Now, it's like all the injuries that happened in that game just make it so hard to know where could that thing have gone, right? Multiple wide receivers, Blake Martinez, all these guys go down, and, and who knows? They weren't putting up, they weren't lighting the world on fire with all them there, but you did see how it started to limit what Daniel Jones' options were, and it just really started to restrain the offensive game. But but overall, right? There's been three games. I I would say I've been I've been happy with 65 percent of what I've seen, 70 percent of what I've seen, and that that's the problem too. Because there's there's 30 percent out there that has been so egregious, it's it's saturating the good stuff and, and really draining you of the quality. Aziz Ojolari is is the guy that I wanted to highlight here. Three sacks in his first three games. Had the strip fumble uh, last week against Matt Ryan. You know, we were just talking about, you look around the league, you see these, you know, sideline to sideline guys. They're just athletic freaks highlighting the other guys that got taken in this year's draft, like Owe or Tryon, right? And, and lamenting, needing those players, wanting those players. Does Ojolari look the way that I thought he was going to look coming out of college, you know, in, in a Giants uniform? No, it was, it was different. And he certainly looks like a beefier Giants type defensive guy, as opposed to some of the other players you've seen around the league. The bottom line is, though, one of the things that gets blown past in that Atlanta game is that this front seven, this hodgepodge of mostly big-bodied boys who aren't really at, get after the quarterback kind of players, they were using their muscle, using their mass to move and to get after Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan is not the Matt Ryan we once knew. But the fact that Ojolari is having some success, you hate to see this be getting overshadowed because the team is struggling. But we may have a piece here. 
You know, we may legitimately be looking at a guy that can come off the edge for the New York football giants for years to come. And you want to get, you want to be hyped about that. A win would go a long way to allowing you to feel that way. You know, you're spot on. We keep talking about the negatives because the team is 0-3. If we were 2-1, and we would be highlighting people like Aziz Ojolari. I mean, he's got three sacks. He he looks great. He's getting pressure. He's the, he's one of the few guys getting the pressure that we're hoping that the Giants could get. And then also look at Andrew Thomas. Andrew Thomas as yes, our left yes. tackle has, has looked tremendous. We haven't mentioned his name because he hasn't given up a sack yet, right? Which is always He's our gone. dream. Remember that? Remember our uh, dream was to not have to talk about him. I, that, well, we talked about this before. We, like, if you're not talking Limited. about your left tackle, you're, you're feeling pretty good. And he went up against, you know, the Von Millers, the Chase Youngs, the, you know, Montres Sweats. Like mm-hmm. he's gone up against some big time players and he's looked very good. Yeah. And and then you look at Daniel Jones. Like he right now in the league Solid. ranks 12th. Yeah. He ranks 12th in QBR. If you told me Daniel Jones was going to be the 12th ranked QBR player in this league, With I would an tell you, record. <laughs> like, no, well, I, I would you, tell you, 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 you would have been blown away if I told you he'll be 12th in QBR. You'd be like, well, the Giants have to be two and one. No, right. Adam, what I'm what I'm saying is put all three together. If I told you our stud Defensive end had three sacks in three games. Our left tackle hadn't given up a sack so yep. far this season. And our quarterback, Daniel Jones, is showing up in his 12th in QBR ahead of guys like, like I think he's ahead of Lamar Jackson. It's like, you'd say, boom, 2-1, and 3-0, and Giants are rolling, let's go. Instead, we're 0-3, and we're pointing out all the bad spots. But these are bright spots for the Giants. Andrew Thomas was a draft pick last year. He's still on a rookie contract. Aziz Ojolari looks good. Daniel Jones is still on his rookie contract. It's just all the other pieces are falling apart, and that's the problem that we have right now. So we're we're gonna t- we're gonna cap this episode off. This will go out on YouTube. You'll be seeing this on YouTube right now. It's happening right now. You're watching it, but you can also go check out the full coverage for the the game against the Saints. We're gonna do that game preview separately because we got into some of the Joe Judge stuff. I'll leave you with this thought, and then go check out the full episode wherever you subscribe. Um, the irony that we're getting to that place where we're like, well, well, Dave Gettleman has to be gone, right? He can't be back next year. And that could be very accurate and true. And in his departure, though, he'd be leaving you with a starting left tackle franchise quarterback and and, a, and an edge rusher to get after the quarterback, right? Like, he could be checking boxes and also be like, and, and, and you know what, buddy? So much else to examine there that just makes this, makes this uh, you know, an end game that we cannot sustain. And potentially two top 10 first round picks next year. So it's like, you yeah, know, you have, you have, you, the pa- cupboard. <laughs> you, have a, you have a pass rusher, a left tackle, a, a franchise quarterback oh. and two first round top 10 picks. See you later. But that's just the state that the giants are in right now. Only in New York, baby. All right, go check out the full episode for the breakdown of the saints. Uh, check us out on social media at one giant podcast. We will be breaking down the upcoming matchup and giving our predictions. And then we'll be back here as always on YouTube. And uh, Andy Makowitz would want, need, demand those people know. As always, let's go big blue. Yes, sir.